Hello and welcome to Success Stories. I'm Kendra Hall, Chief Storytelling Officer at Success Magazine, and this is the podcast where we sit down with the brightest stars and the boldest thought leaders as they share their stories so you can create your own success story. Stand-up comedian Michael Jr. has brought laughter to the stages of Jimmy Kimmel Live and Comedy Central, but his most impactful work, arguably, has been in places where lightheartedness was more needed, places like homeless shelters and prisons. While finding humor along the way, he has gotten serious about his search for significance. Now, an author of the new book, Funny How Life Works, with a foreword by a leadership expert, John C. Maxwell, Michael continues to spread the message of positivity and of hope. Michael. Welcome to Success. We are so excited to hear your stories. Yo, thanks. Really appreciate you, Kendra. Oh, I'm I'm so an real. And I don't know if you know this, but like storytelling is my thing. And I know you're a comedian. We'll get into that. Um, but I have to say, your book is a storytelling masterpiece. So oh, wow. we'll be talking. I know. I and it just came out March 2nd. Yes. So Yes. What's it called, Michael Jr.? It's called Funny How Life Works. Yeah. Before we get into how funny it is, the way that life works, I want to ask you a very serious <laughs> question. What is your definition of success? Ooh, my, I would say, and this, this is so cool, I would say to clearly know what it is you're called to do and to, and to be able to do it every day. Say that again, to clearly know what you are called to do. And to be able to do it every day. I don't think I've ever heard it described that well. You win. You win. I heard it described pretty well the other day. Um, but mm-hmm. this, to know what you are called to do and to be able to do it every day. So Every day. That begs the question, mm-hmm. Michael, what have you been called to do? So I am called to comedically inspire people to walk in purpose. So a lot of times people think when, when, when you're talking about your calling and what it is you're supposed to do, they think they have to get to a place or be doing a thing or making a certain, what you call it. I was on stage once and I opened, sometimes when I'm on stage, I'll open up the floor to questions. And it's, uh, it's sometimes it'll, it's just random questions because it's at a comedy show or it's when I'm doing a keynote talk. And I had this lady say, well, uh, I, I know what my purpose is, but I'm, I can't really do it right now. I was like, well, what do you feel like your purpose is? And she said, well, I'm, I'm called to help single moms. But right now I work at a UPS store, so I can't help them. And I was like, listen, there, you, first of all, you can, because there's mm-hmm. probably a single mom really close to you. But all you have to do, like one thing you can do immediately, if you just work at a UPS store, why not do the math? And she she's thinking it has to be some grand thing that she's helping single moms. She wants to help them get on their feet and have a better life and all the things that she didn't have as a single mom. So I said to her, but you work at a UPS store. She was like, yes. I said, are there a lot of UPS stores in your city? She said, yeah, there's probably six or seven. I said, well, which one is located in the area that has the most uh, population of single moms? And then I said, are you working at that location? Because if not, you can get transferred to that location. Chances are higher that a single mom will come into the UPS store where you work at and simply by helping her with her mail, maybe giving her some encouragement while you make the transaction, 
You are literally walking in what you're called to do. It doesn't have to be something grand. You just have to be a good steward of what little you have, and then more will be given to you. So that's what I mean. Like people don't have to wait one day to be successful. Like you can look around right now. There's opportunities in front of you. And at the risk of saying the title of my book again, it is funny how life works. <laughs> you should say the title of your book so many times. We could turn right, this into fits. a we could turn this into some sort of game. I, uh, yeah. yeah. Funny how life works. But I think actually that you are, you're so right. Uh, I see people get tangled up in that a lot. And, and, and it's twofold, right? Like what is your definition of success? I just asked you that, Michael, but you could ask mm-hmm. anyone that. This woman says it's to help single moms, but I can't because I'm at a UPS store. Like those two things are not in conflict right. with each other. But it's true. Mm. We get really, um, we, get we, we judge it too quickly. Details. Yeah. Like yeah, that it has to be some big details. thing. It got to be something great. It needs to be like what she's doing or what they're doing. When I, I'm going to tell you one of the questions that changes the game for anybody is, so I started out, I started my career doing stand-up comedy. And in comedy, the question I'm always asking is how can I get laughs from people? Even when I didn't know I was asking that question, I was saying, how can I get laughs? How can I get laughs? Until one day outside of a club in Los Angeles, I had a change in mindset. Literally, I'm I'm getting ready to get on stage and I had a shift take place. And I do a prayer before I get on stage sometime, but this shift took place. And I felt like instead of getting laughs from people, I was supposed to go up there and give them an opportunity to laugh. This changed everything because I'm not looking to take anymore. I'm looking for an opportunity to... I'm just simply giving them an opportunity. So I remember that same night I went up on stage and I did my comedy set and I was so much more relaxed. Here's the thing. When you have something to give someone, there's no pressure at all. Like, in fact, when you give someone a gift, your job is simply to present a gift. So I go on stage and like, we have a great set. I leave the club and I look and I'm, I'm signing autographs and stuff. It's a, one of my favorite clubs to perform at, right? And I'm taking pictures with people. It's the same scenario every time I leave this club. But this time, while I look around, um, across the street, I saw a homeless guy. I had never seen a homeless guy outside this club before, ever. Mm. But that doesn't mean he wasn't there before. That just means before, the question I was asking is, how could I get last from people? So why would I even notice a homeless guy? I start asking a different question, and I notice I got different answers as a result of it. Right now, if I said to your listeners... Is there anything in the room that you're in that is the color purple? Do you see any purple in your room? Chances are you're going to find some purple because I asked that question. You ask a different question, you get different answers. You didn't even see the purple before. You didn't even notice it. And it's a room you've been in a bunch of times before. So I lead a club and I see this homeless guy and I'm like, wow, what about him? How could I give him an opportunity to laugh? And that's what caused me to start a nonprofit called Funny for the Forgotten. So we go to homeless shelters and prisons and abuse children's facilities and take comedy there to make laughter commonplace in uncommon places, simply because I asked a different question. Now, what I want people to understand is you're going to ask one of two questions. You're going to either ask, what can I get? Or you're going to ask, what can I give? And if you don't choose to ask the question, what can I give? By default, you are always asking, what can I get? So you have to make the choice to make that shift and everything changes because asking that second question is where true success is. 
You may look like you're successful if you're constantly asking the question, what can I get? But to truly be successful, to truly have success, it's going to be about what can you truly give. I love, okay. So I, I want to come back. I'm going to make my notes here <laughs> yet versus give, because I, I want to come, I want to come back to that. First, mm-hmm. I want to go to the very beginning. Like, how did you right? So you're, you're doing stand up. You said, that's how you got started. Um, and now we have this mm-hmm. whole new give versus get and Mm -hmm. bringing laughter to uncommon places but where did you even well how did you even find out you were funny on like where did you where did you even discover that this is you know you you mentioned uh uh success being about finding your calling how did you discover this this calling take me all the way so so uh i remember being in high school it probably really started when i was nine years old but when i was in high school i remember going to the movies with some friends and I was already, I was funny in school, but I was not a class clown because a class clown the, like if, if the teacher sent me to the principal's office, my dad had this thing that also held up his pants. And yeah, I didn't want, I didn't want to deal with that thing. So fashion accessory we're at, we're, 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 it's the end of high school. We had just graduated. Everybody is having like these things called open houses. I guess when you go over to their house and you just you talk about whatever. And so, so some, me and some friends, we all went to the movies. And my friends were asking, what are you going to do after school? Like one guy, one of my friends had a full ride scholarship for football. This other one was going to the army. And they're like, Michael, what are you doing after school? I was like, um, I'm probably going to get a sandwich or something. I'm hungry. Like I, didn't, like I didn't have no college plans. Like even now people like, like, yeah, I, Technically, I went to Michigan State um, to a football game. It was awesome. It was a great game. But Michigan <laughs> won. Anyway, so uh, so then we, we go to the movies, right? And we're sitting in this movie theater. And uh, in the middle of the movie, the screen, the screen goes blank. In the middle of the movie. And then the house lights come on. And there's like this stage in front of the screen. And my friend, a German exchange student, says, he says to me, I dare you go tell a joke. That's the best German accent I could do. I'm, I'm sorry. I was like, anyway, so, can you please try, try it again? I think you can do better. Yeah. I dare you. I dare you go tell a joke. There you go. No, it's like African or something. I, don't yeah, know. I know that wasn't quite right, but that's okay. I, we got where we you go tell a joke, Holmes. Just <laughs> anyway, so he, he dares me to go tell a joke. And at the time, I'm like 19, 18 years old. You, I, I'm, you dare me to do something. I'm going to do it. So I'll go up on the stage. And the only joke I knew was a dirty joke. Now, me and a friend who was also at the movie theater had made a deal uh, some like a year or so earlier that we wouldn't curse anymore. If he heard me curse, he could hit me in the chest hard as he wanted to and vice versa. And Duke could hit really hard. So it was... Is he the guy that had the football scholarship? Uh, no, he was a guy who went to prison a little while afterwards. Oh, yeah, well, they, okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we got out real fast and I went to go visit him doing comedy later in life. Anyway, so, um, so I didn't want to get hit. In, I didn't want to start what would later be known as... Uh, MMA, like I just wanted to get up here and do the just so I went upstairs and I uh, I mean I went up there and only the only joke I knew was a dirty joke. So I had like 12 seconds from the time I got out of my chair to walk to the stage to rewrite this joke in my head. So I so I rewrote this joke. I got up on stage, I told this joke to all these people, and everyone in the room falls out laughing. And I feel like this high for the first time ever in my life. I've never done drugs, I've never um 
I've never smoked a cigarette. I had NyQuil one time. Uh, yeah, that stuff is amazing. That is pretty. Like that stuff takes you to another place. Don't do it, kids. Anyway, so um, so then I go sit down because I don't got any more jokes, and people want more comedy, but I, I know when to get out. Even this is no, this is my first time. So I go sit back down, and this and security comes running in, looking for me to kick me out. And this this white lady who I don't even know, she stands up and says, "If you kick that young man out, I want my money back." And then these bikers with long hair and tattoos stand up. Then the black people, like the whole room stands up and says, if you kick him out, uh, we want our money back. And it just blew me away. All I did was give them a little piece of me. And in retrospect, I mean, and and they gave me all this love. So when I look back at that moment, I used to think that moment was really God giving me a glimpse of what he called for me to do with regards to comedy. But the truth is, is I was getting a glimpse of what he called for me to do using comedy to bring people together for something bigger than themselves, which really is uh, success in my book. Yeah, that is. I um, wait. So do you remember the joke? Is it, I, it? I don't remember the joke. It's what I always tell people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really remember the joke, but I, I don't even remember the movie, which is the craziest part. Like it was so like, because after I told that joke and all of that stuff happened, my stomach was just churning in a way where I, like I was sitting up against the wall and I couldn't believe what had just taken place. It was literally like my purpose, like, like the desires of my heart just exploded in a way where I'm like, I gotta go after this. This is what I want to do. But, mm-hmm. but you said like you gave them a little piece of you. And it was like, it wasn't just you, but it was like you in your truest God given essence form. Right. And, and, and I think we need to, because I know I've had those moments. uh, And I know probably a lot of people listening, if they were to think back, there would be these moments where, and you think to yourself, what? So, so the movie went out and I got, I did it on a day. Like that can't be, the essence that can't be right. my calling. It's too, but that's how it happens. Is it absolutely slices? Absolutely. And to recognize those, to know, like here, you, you yeah. heard it here. Yeah, and here's another thing that people miss too: is there is always a, right before I feel like you get to see that or feel it. More times than not, we get a checkpoint mm-hmm. where 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 we have to pass this checkpoint to confirm that we're ready for more people. For, to be trusted with more people. And a lot of people don't pass this checkpoint. What I mean is it may be an integrity checkpoint or it may be a trust checkpoint. So for example, if you're thinking of buying a, or getting a new house, but you make this little move on your taxes that wasn't quite right. Mm-hmm. You know something wasn't right with it. Well, the fact that you had the option to cheat on your taxes in that way, the fact that you had the option and you decided to do it to, to cheat was really a checkpoint. It's proof that you're not ready for more, mm-hmm. literally. So even in that movie theater, that was like a checkpoint. Looking back at it, it was like, am I going to trust and am I going to just do this and go up there and represent the way I want to represent? Or am I just going to go up there, tell a dirty joke and do yeah. whatever? But because I went up there with all the integrity I could in that moment and, pres- and, and, and push fear behind me, I was able to go up there and present it. And now I have all these other opportunities in front of me. And checkpoints show up on a regular basis. The problem is, is people don't recognize their checkpoints. They just think it's a chance to get ahead. Wow, what do you know? There was, I just, there was $2,000 in my bank account 
out of nowhere. I ain't saying nothing. That's just true. That's a blessing. Really? Really? Wow. It could be a checkpoint. And it proves that you're not ready for that next level of success if you can't pass the checkpoint. Oh, what a cool, what a, what a great lens to see those moments through. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wait, if you just take that little pause and be like, ooh, this could be a checkpoint or, oh, this could be yes. that moment. Because, because we always get opportunities. Like, have you ever seen, have you ever felt like doing something really, really nice for somebody and then you end up talking yourself out of it? Yeah. It is absolutely a checkpoint. Yeah. I have a friend who did that at, uh, we were at the airport and he felt like he was supposed to give the lady at the, uh, at the counter I'm talking about the flight attendant lady at the counter, $20. He's like, dude, I feel like I should give her 20 bucks, which is weird because you don't tip those people. But she right. just helped him out. And he, he was like, ah, I don't know. I just, I'm like, dude, just like, just do it. It's not going to hurt anybody. Like, just be obedient and do the thing. So he just awkwardly walks up there and says, I know this is weird, but I just feel like I should give you $20. This lady starts to cry because what we didn't know is earlier that day, she left, she, she dropped her kids off and left her purse at home, comes to work, runs out of gas in the parking lot as she parks her car. So now that whole day in the back of her mind is how am I going to get gas in my car? What am I going to do? And then here comes my friend who gets prompted to give her $20 hand gives it to her like he's supposed to. She cries. Now we got this great moment. Your listeners get to hear like it's a checkpoint. Are we going to do those yeah. things? That we're supposed to do in those moments, or we're going to talk ourselves out of it. Right. Uh, I do. I feel like those moments come, and we're mm-hmm. you, we're often so busy, or we're editing. Thing, there's so many. So I I, yeah, I am yeah. so with you on that. So my next question, though, is: You have this moment. You get up. You know. You bring people together. You tell your joke. Um, you know. School's over. You you go get a sandwich. Like you said, you were going to (laughs) do, what did you do next? Michael? Like, what do you do? You have this moment. I mean, you're 17, 18 years old. Like what did you do? So the next thing I did was I I got a job at a gas station. That seems like the next logical. Yeah. Got a job at a gas station. So I was working at this gas station in Grand Rapids on 28th street near Cascade. And I'm sitting here working and I'm, whenever I work, I work hard. Like whatever job I'm doing, I would always work hard, even though I didn't like it. I knew that wasn't the end for me. I just didn't know what was going on. While I'm working at the gas station, this guy around 7 p.m. comes in and he's kind of in a rush. And he asked my coworker, hey, I need, how, this was before they had cell phones, obviously. He was like, how do I get to the comedy den? And then she gave him directions to the comedy den. Then I asked the guy, I was like, wait, 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 what is the comedy den? And he said, it's a comedy club that's down the street. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the comedian who's going to be performing down there. I got to head that way. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, you're a comedian. Like you, like you're a person. Like it, it just didn't click on me. Yeah. Like you're also a person. Like it never, I'd never seen a comedian in real life before. Like I just hadn't seen it. So then I go and uh, I go to the club after I get off work and I'm watching this, these people on stage and it's going okay. It's like 27 people in the club. And then the dude from the gas station comes out. And he's doing jokes and people are laughing and I'm doing the math on these jokes. And I'm like, snap, I see what he's doing. I could do that. Ooh, he could have said this. He could have moved in this way. All of this math and calculations start going on on how his show could be even better or how I might do it if I was up there. Like, I can't tell. So then um, I call that club up and I'm like, hey, my name is Michael Jr. I want to get on stage at your club. And then they hung up because you just because that's not how that works. Right. So. (laughs) So there's another club 
in Lansing, Michigan. The guy, finally, I called the guy like six times. He said, listen, there's a club in Lansing. They do an open mic on Tuesday nights. Maybe call them. So I called a Lansing Connection Comedy Club, right? And I, and I decide to go and um, try that club out. They give you, if, if you call on a Tuesday between 9.30 a.m. and 9.45 a.m., you could, you, and if, if, the, if someone picks up, you could actually get on. So I end up getting on and I go to the club. I do three minutes in front of the, and they only give you three minutes of comedy, right? You get three minutes. And I had like 20 minutes of comedy. Yeah. That and that's do. hard too. Cause you gotta, you've got to warm up, you know, and well, like three minutes is tough. Well, well, here's the thing. I had 20 minutes of comedy. So I thought I went on stage. I did all my jokes. I had a minute 43 left. I'm like, <laughs> what in the world just happened? What just happened? So I went on stage and I remember um, my first joke. I talk about it in the book too. My first joke ever was, uh, I said, bet not nobody heckle me. This is, first of all, this was back in the day. Okay. Let me just say right now, it's probably not as politically correct. Anyway, it's still funny. I said, bet not nobody heckle me. Cause the last person to heckle me, I hit him in the chest then I punched him in the stomach. Then I grabbed him by the back of his wheelchair and I pushed him. That was the, that was the whole joke. That was the, yeah. Yeah. It probably wouldn't work in 2021. But I then I get off stage and I remember sitting there waiting on a producer, a movie producer to tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, I want you in my movie. Literally, I'm in Lansing, Michigan. There's 30 people at the club. I'm sitting there waiting the whole time. Any minute. And then I sat there and waited and waited. And then this guy tapped me on the shoulder and he said, hey, buddy, we're out to close, man. What You need to, <sighs> you got to get out of here. That okay, so, so, so let's... Let's talk about let's talk about that for a minute because I think about it and I think of all of the jobs to have. Uh and I'm a I'm a performance person. I I like to speak. I do, you know, like yeah. I, I like the stage. I think comedy mm-hmm. would be the hardest of all of the I mean so I mean think about all of yeah, the Yeah, you're right. So, so tell me just what you have to go through to be mm-hmm. successful as a, like, what does that mm-hmm. even, what does that even look like? Yeah, it's pretty hard. I mean, it, it can be hard, but here, but I've always been that, that kid who didn't really care a bunch about what other people thought. So I, so I thought, so that kind of got me through for a while, but just getting on stage constantly. I remember when I first moved to New York city, I left Michigan because I was doing okay there, but I moved to New York because I want to know if I'm funny. And in New York, if you're not funny, they'll say something like, you're not funny. Like, <laughs> just just flat out. So there's a comedy club there and uh, called the Comic Strip Live. And I wanted to get on at the Comic Strip Live. It's in the Upper East Side. And uh, and I'm in New York and I'm broke. I don't mean just, bro- I'm talking about, I don't got no money. I had to leave my apartment um, and I moved in at a, um, my next apartment that I had was a four door apartment. Uh, the address was 1997 Chevy Lumina drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, four door. Literally. Never heard it described <laughs> as four door before. <laughs> Where's this going? <laughs> literally I lived on the, and I would always park my car on the East side of the street because I'm not the type of person who likes to lie. I know this will sound weird. But I would park my car on the east side of the street. So when people ask me where I live, I'd be like, oh, I live on the, on the east side. I would always <laughs> I would always say that. So I'm living in my car and there's this club called the Comic Strip there. And it's a nice club, but it's hard to get into. It's super hard. I'm talking about comedians would start lining up at six o'clock in the morning so they can do three minutes in front of the manager uh, at, at 7 p.m. at night. 
Mm-hmm. Like it was super hard to get in. And I'm fine. It's finally my turn to perform. And right before I get on stage, a comedian named George Wallace walks in. Right now, whenever like he's super established. So whenever mm-hmm. someone like that walks in, whoever's next gets bumped. Uh-huh. Well, I'm next. And I know I'm about to get bumped. And the manager's walking over to me and I'm like, I'm about to get bumped. This is where like God shows up for the first time in my life. Or I should say, this is where I noticed them. Right. So the manager says to me, listen, uh, Michael Jr., George Wiles is here. Do you want to go on before him or after him? <gasps> listen, Kendra, that never happens. You never, ever get an option. So I go on before George Wallace. That I is got the New right Yorkers choice. laughing. Yeah. Yes. I got New Yorkers laughing, but then he comes in and he's laughing as well. Mm. And he says to me, you know what? You're funny and you're clean. He said, mm. let me ask you a question. Would you like to do a show with me and my best friend in a couple nights? I didn't know who his best friend was, but I'm pumped to do the show. I get there. It's me, George Wallace, Jerry Seinfeld. No. So, yeah. So I rip the show up and smash it. I get two stand ovations. It's amazing. But I'm broke, too. Like, so he we do the show, but I'm up against time on how long I could. Because at night, literally, I was rationing how I could stay warm in my car versus saving gas. In in New York, I don't know if you know this, but the club, the comedy clubs, I mean, you wouldn't know. They pay like 12 bucks a show. So one of the pivotal moments for me was, uh, well, when I was a kid, the reason where comedy comes from, when I was a kid, I used to struggle with my reading. Like, I, I graduated high school reading at almost a fourth grade level. Like literally at almost a fourth grade level. So my mind would always scramble. If I saw a word, I couldn't figure out what the word was. My mind would scramble to figure out what it was. I would look at the font size, the color, the positioning, what's in front of it, what's behind it, how people responded to it. So my mind would always scramble. Now as an adult, I read just fine, but I still have this ability to look at words and people and situations seven different ways almost immediately. And that's one of the primary places I pull my comedy from. So I leave New York and one of the pivotal moments in my comedy career was I go to this club in Los Angeles called the Comedy and Magic Club. It's the same club I told you about where I saw the homeless guy at, but this is my yep. first time ever there. Yep. And I can't get in the club, but George Wallace calls me up and says, hey, I can take you to the Comedy and Magic Club. Do you want to go? And then after I got off the floor from crying, I got up and said, yes, sure. Why not? Takes me to the Comedy and Magic Club. I can't, he can't get me on stage, but he can get me, um, but he can get me in the club. So then after the show, he takes me to the green room. And in the green room now is George Wallace, Gary Shanley, Jay Leno. Soldiers in comedy. And I'm brand new in time. And at the time, like I'm brand, I'm blown away that I'm in the room with these guys. These guys are brilliant at comedy. I ain't saying nothing. But at the time, they were working on a joke where they were helping a football player. Uh, I mean, they were working on a joke for the Tonight Show on, on, on NBC. Mm-hmm. A football player got hit in the eye with a flag and he was soon a league for $400 million. Now all of these guys are helping Leno for, with that joke for his monologue on the tonight show. I'm not saying anything, Kendra. I'm just happy to be in there. Right. eating French fries with these people. Yeah. <laughs> because in fact, the only reason, the reason I only ate French fries was because I didn't feel like I was worthy of being in the room, to be honest with you. So, uh-huh. and I didn't want to be weird and not eat because my stomach was growling. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they're sitting there and they're working on a joke. Then they all got quiet and they looked at me. I'm like, oh, snap. This is an opportunity. I was like, all right, let me see if I got this right. He got hit in the eye with a flag. He lost his vision in one eye and he's suing the league for $400 million. Um, He's not going to see half of it. <laughs> Boom. The place explodes in laughter. Like everybody. I got Leno laughing, Shanley, everybody's laughing. And then while they're laughing, I grabbed a piece of chicken. I was like, cool. Because now I felt like I was in the room. 
Yeah. It was yeah. so dope. So, but the reason I was able to come up with that joke and the thing I want your listeners to understand, the reason I was able to come up with that joke that fast under that much pressure is because of what I call practice before I even got there. And what I mean by practice was, was the struggle of me reading, having a hard time reading as a child. I was struggling my reading. I had to look at things differently. So that very thing that looked like a handicap turns out it was actually a strength for me later in life. So one of the things I like to point out in the book and just in generally in life is there's things in life that look like they're a handicap, but they actually could be preparation for what it is you're called to do. So if you don't look at them like they're a handicap, if you recognize it's actually preparation for what you're called to do, it puts you in such a much more powerful position to truly succeed. Yeah, I have a storytelling mentor who would always say the story doesn't necessarily make sense while it's happening. It only makes sense later once you tell it back. So while you're young Absolutely. and you're you're struggling with that and you're like, what is this? Why am I struggling so hard? Well, now you now you tell that story back. You understand mm. why. It's because it it prepared you, as you said, for that moment yes. in the green room. Mm. So such an important thing just as a tool to remember, whether it's for yourself, for, for those of you who are, are parents or are leading a team, when there is that struggle, it's easy to get like really caught up in that struggle, but to pull yourself out for a moment and be like, this will be a part of the story mm-hmm. later on, right? And yes. like that moment, practice. you can like let go of some of the angst and the anxiety and the pain of that struggle and be like, oh, well, you know, I'm still struggling, but this is, this is going to make for a good story later on. Right. Cause look absolutely. At- so, so what you're talking about doing is really what I talk about on stage, which is you're thinking about the punchline first. Mm. So the way, the way comedy works is there's a setup and then there's a punchline. The setup is when a comedian will make his audience think in one direction. Mm-hmm. Right. But the punchline occurs when he changes that direction in a way they're not expecting when they catch on to that change, they receive the punchline and the results of revelation, fulfillment and joy expressed through laughter. Well, life is the same way. There's a setup and there's a punchline. The setup is what you have received. Okay. The fact that you're married, you got this career, you went to school, but your punchline is about what you're called to deliver. And a lot of people know their setup. All you have to do is look around and take a life assessment. You can figure out what your setup is, but not a lot of people understand what their punchline is. Because your punchline is about what you're called, as I said, to deliver. And if you know your setup and don't know your punchline, you'll feel like something's missing. And you'll think what you need to fill that void, you'll think you need more setup. If I could just get married, if I could just get a this career going, if I could just get a degree, what you really need to understand is what is your punchline. And just like me struggling with my reading as a child, even your setbacks are part of your setup so you can deliver the punchline you're called to deliver. It's kind of like a slingshot or a born arrow. The mm-hmm. further you've been set back, mm-hmm. the further you're going to reach. But the question is, what are you going to aim for? So what you're talking about is you're thinking about the punchline first. You're saying, hey, everybody, should, and when you're in the middle of something, sit back and, and take note of what you, what's going on and recognize that there's going to be a punchline that you can deliver as a result of this setback. In fact, it's going to be even more powerful because you're being set back even further. But the only way you can truly move forward is you have to let go of what's behind you, just like a slingshot. You can pull back as far as you want, but if you don't let go, you can't go forward. Everyone has a punchline and there's there's a punchline for everyone who's listening right now. There's a punchline for you to deliver. 
it is funny how life works. <laughs> it is so funny how life can work in the <laughs> Wait, you go, <laughs> you're gonna keep modifying it. That is brilliant. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, and I think I, I, I think that message too, especially right now where we're recording this in I don't even know what day it is. I know it's 2021. It's no longer 20. It's January. It's let's say that it is January, January yes. 2021. And I don't know about you, but well actually I can only imagine I want to ask you about that in in just a bit in just a bit mm-hmm. but 2020 was like the ultimate setup right like yeah, it was a great yeah, absolutely absolutely and and all of the many um and and some were were major but the but the collapses and the thing i mean it was it was like in and of itself its own punchline if you if you think of yeah. it and so, I mean, it was a it was some great punchline opportunities for sure well and that's where even we our business took a huge hit. I was in the live events business doing 60 keynotes a year. And we were just doing like going back last night and looking through some of the numbers comparing Q2 over mm-hmm. like Q1. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, it was shocking. I was like, wow, we survived that. Like looking back mm-hmm. at the, at the, we survived that. And, and even all of the, the small setbacks, um, mm-hmm. And and big setbacks. Mm-hmm. The the some of the punchlines we've already realized, and like what a satisfying. Absolutely. But that but that if you're still in that, if you're still in the gathering the uh, content, and you haven't achieved your punchline yet, mm-hmm. what a great perspective to know that it's likely coming. Yeah, and here's the thing too. Even about 2020 is, and then moving into 2021, if you change your question, like you actually change the results. I would beg to argue that 2020 was really hard for the people who was constantly asking, what can I get? Yeah. But if you were asking, or if you choose even now to start asking, what can I give? I'm telling you, think about 2021 from the, I mean, 2020 from the eyes of what can I give? Mm -hmm. Let me just think about it. Were there more opportunities than ever in 2020 to give to other people than probably any other year ever? literally. I mean, you got people out of work. You got people who are afraid. You got so much fear. So if you're asking, what can I give? There is an abundance out there. So I was blessed that I was already of the mindset of asking, what can I give? So we, we found multiple opportunities to give in a significant way. And as a, as a result, yeah, our, our business dipped a lot, but our morale was off the chain because of all of the opportunities that were in front of us to give to other people in some way or another, even if that, especially with comedy, people really needed comedy at that time. So the first thing I did was I released my comedy special on YouTube for free. So everybody could laugh, which was like, we just gave it to everybody so they could laugh and just enjoy it. And people were blown back by the fact, cause we were about to release it. We wanted to release the thing on Netflix or wherever, whatever, yeah, we do that do. whole process. Yeah. When that happened, we were like, Hey, you know what? Let's give this to the people. And the response was phenomenal. And, and I was willing to let go and, and get, so if there's opportunities out there. If you shift, if you change your question, you will deliver a greater punch line. Stop you know, asking, I, what can I get? I, I think it's important too, because I feel like there, there'd be, there'd, 
there'd be the tendency or the risk, right? Of the people who I know the people listening to this, they're good people. They're motivated people. They're, you know, they're achievers. They wouldn't be listening to this if they weren't. And so they're thinking, oh yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a give person. Like I are, yes, I already have that, but I, I would beg you just for a moment to, to pause and ask you, because I think that there's also the side of motivated achievers who have their list of goals who are like, I want to get this. I want to get this done. I want to get to this level. I want to, I want to, and, and what did you hear in every one of those sentences? Mm-hmm. Get, 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 get. So it isn't like a greediness. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a paradigm, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are like, like it wouldn't be wrong of you as a comedian right. to be standing on the stage and thinking, how do I get a laugh? Right. It isn't, it doesn't make you a bad person, but how much more elevating it is to think, how yes. do I, ah, uh, that's. Well, with that question, if had I only asked that question, I would have never started uh, funny for the forgotten. I would have never started my, my nonprofit because when I go into a prison, for instance, like I was invited to go do a show and uh, Charles Manson, was going to be there. Like, like I was going to do a show for the cats on death, like literally through my nonprofit. So I didn't do it because, uh, scheduling (laughs) didn't work out with some other stuff. But so I literally would go like for real, like literally they called me up and it was like, he was in, I think he was in Angola or whatever. So I literally get invited to these prisons where people are like on death row and nothing is funny. But if my mindset was, how do I get laughs? I wouldn't go because my I would think there's no way I could get laps. Mm. But I actually end up going to those places and we absolutely, and all I do is bring them an opportunity to laugh. That's my job, bring them an opportunity. It's up to them if they want to seize right. the opportunity. But when I bring it, I'm telling you, I've never done one of the shows for Funny for Forgotten and not gotten laps. I'm talking like every time, I'm talking about on Skid Row, I did a show for abused children in Montrose, Colorado. And there was a little boy up front who is, I'd already interviewed his grandmother and she told me that uh, his mom was on drugs and she was abusing him. And one of the things she was doing, like he's afraid of his mom. So he wears a Spider-Man costume everywhere he goes. He's like six, five or six years old. And she said he was going to come to the show that night, but he'd have his Spider-Man costume on. And one of the things his mom was doing to him is she was pulling out his toenails, like just some horrible stuff. Right. So I'm hearing all these stories. And then sure enough, that night when we get ready to do the comedy show, the grandmother's there and Spider-Man sitting right up front on her lap full spider-man costume then i go ahead and i start doing comedy and like 20 minutes in people are laughing pretty good 25 minutes or so in i hear a voice come from the front row to my to my right this little boy says my name is ronan and he pulls off his mask and introduces himself to me and we're blown away because i hadn't seen his face prior to this and his grandmother's in tears and we're sitting there now listen had i shown up with fifty thousand dollars in a briefcase and handed it to that little boy we would still have a little boy in a Spider-Man costume with fifty thousand dollars, but I showed up with my gift. All everyone listening right now, you have a gift to deliver to the people around you, and if you can ask the question, "What can I give?" Sometimes it's coming from the hip, but more times than not, it's coming from the heart. If you ask, "What can I give?" You'll change somebody's life in a significant way because there's people around you right now, just like little Ronan, who are wearing a mask and they're hurting. And maybe the mask looks like they cut you off in traffic or maybe the mask looks like they're they're angry at you or it's a boss who you don't get along with. But they're wearing a mask and there's something they need. And if you keep asking, what can I get? You're going to miss an amazing opportunity. By the way, the grandmother contacted us about, I would say, about 15 months ago. 
and sent us a letter and said, Michael, I just want you to know, since that day at the comedy show, Ronan never put his mask on again. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the deal? The little boy, like, that stuff blows me away. And it all came from asking a different question. Mm -hmm. Wow. And just showing, and then, so asking a different question and also not questioning. Like, I would imagine there have been those moments, and, and maybe not for you, but I could say, that for and maybe for you where you're like wait who am I to just with some comp with some jokes to absolutely make a difference to really but that is what you're absolutely. called to do that's my gift listen a gift isn't a gift until you give it away and it's not measured by how many people want it it's measured by who else needs it so you have to be willing to give that gift and here's the thing and I know some of the listeners are like, well, listen, there is probably a CEO, somebody at the top of the game who needs to receive. And you're right next to that person on a regular basis thinking he got it all together. But maybe what he really needs is some somebody to sit down and give him some strong marital advice or to uh, compliment him in a way that helps him actually be secure as opposed to insecure. And that's why he's lashing out. If you could be sensitive and just say, OK, what could I really give today? You'll be amazed at what's going to take place. I'm going to say the title again. It's funny how life works. <laughs> funny. How- I do that to break the tension a little bit because I do comedy, <laughs> but we're getting so, you're pulling so much out of me, Kendra, so it's cool, but I, I want to keep the levity there too. Well, like in the no, book, I, we I, constantly keep the levity and the, the stories. So yeah. Well, and I, I, I think that that is, I think that's, I think that's part of it. Like you can, mm-hmm. and, and that goes back to your, there was a, there was a quote in the book. Um, you said, "What's the name of the book?" What, what the, the, name, the of name of the book is "Funny <laughs> How Life Works." Uh, there's no subtitle, as far as I'm concerned. We have not yet gone into the subtitle. If there is one, I don't want to know because it won't be there, funny. What I will make there, that there up. There's not a <laughs> Michael Jr. Um, yeah. And that is just Jr. Like, do we? Let's, uh, yeah, let's just yeah. go. But you, we you got, had well, a subtitle. John Maxwell did the forward, which is kind of like a subtitle a little bit. Maybe. <laughs> that is funny how life works. Subtitle: John Maxwell, John Maxwell. Did the forward. That is not a subtitle. <laughs> <laughs> your, your publisher is upset right now that you would. No, that is definitely that's a forward. But there was a quote that said, "The ability, your ability to make people laugh, was not an accident." And that you were too, you knew you were supposed to use it for something bigger than you, that you were funny for a reason. And, Mm. um, and that goes back to what we've been saying all along when you, and and maybe that is like, I wasn't expecting it to be the big takeaway, but how important it is to, you started that way, to know what your calling is, to know what your gift is, to know that you have it and then how to give it away. So Michael Jr., what, um, (laughs) you wrote a book. Is that true? <laughs> Tell us yeah, about the, the book. Name of Tell us where we can find you. Oh, okay. So you can get the book. You can go to michaeljr.com slash book, or it's wherever books are sold as well. Yeah. But it's really about these crazy stories that have happened in my life that are hilarious and heartfelt. And then we just take people for a ride with some under with some principles at the end of it. Like there's stories from the, when I did the Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. There's stories about uh, when I, I worked in the oil change place in the pit and I had a white guy say to me, you belong in the pit. You should stay down there. Don't ever come up. 
I had a police officer come into my apartment, 15 police officers coming to my apartment. And one of them put a gun in my head, put the hammer back. And, uh, and then at the end of it, something really amazing happened. Like it's probably one of the greatest stories. Like I'm so happy that took place. I love the uh, story about Kramer. That was a great. Oh, Kramer from Seinfeld. Yeah. 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 That's in there too. People didn't know I was right there the whole time it happened. So how do you go from, how do you go from, okay, this officer put a gun in my head, put the hammer back and me be able to say, this is one of the best stories ever that I can tell. Like it really is. So I'm excited about funny how life works and people getting it and reading it and being moved. And we're already getting some pretty amazing reviews that people are reading it right now. So I'm very excited. And then I'm Michael Jr. Comedy on all platforms. Okay. Twitter and um, and MySpace mainly. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I was hoping I could find you on MySpace. Yeah. It, I just feel like yeah. it's they it could use a little laughter there. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what's important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, you have your comedy special that you released on uh, YouTube. I think people yeah. Can. So on YouTube, I probably I got a bunch of bunch of videos. So if people want to just go laugh with your family, you can go do that. So we, yeah, we have the book funny how life works, but we also did a course called funny how life works where you get to sit back, watch videos and laugh and learn and take the quizzes. You could do the whole thing with your entire family. So it's a lot of the stand-up comedy and some sketches that we created, but we wrap some life lessons around the two. And the course is called funny how life works. So if they just go to funny how life works.com, they'll, they'll find every, everything they could ever imagine for their life. Wait, what? so is that funny how life occurs? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, played very well played. Oh, wow. Michael Jr. I have to say, this was this was so fun. Thank you so much cool. for sitting down for so sharing your stories. Me. Where do I fall at on the scale of one to ten of all your guests? Like you've had a bunch of guests. Like am I? Like where do I fall? I mean, you're a solid three. <laughs> you're from the top or the bottom like where what, which way we come like which, which just always say three i'm just always three saying, is a oh, good you're number well you're a 12 i've math was never my strong suit but i i yeah. would say you're cool. right up there you, how many kids you got two are you sure i'm good at that math i know i was like did you see me they're gonna be listening to it and they're gonna see the look of me well yeah, do i count yeah. my husband is he's not a kid i did yeah, just here's the thing. Dog, your kids so are not gonna listen to your podcast let's be real they're no, not. they my don't. Kids don't they my don't. kids don't listen to mine. Oh, by the way, I have a podcast too. Guess what it's called? It is called Life is So Funny. <laughs> <laughs> it is called. Are you less distant? You must be less distant. Yeah, that's what it is. I'm going to use it as part of my story. The podcast is funny how life works. Yeah. That's a great you know, we, write a book called that. That's a great title for a podcast. <laughs> That was great. That was really cool. Uh, thank you're you. Really you're, you're really good at this. You're you're really good at this for real too. Wait, you you help people kind of drop their shoulders and like you got skills, like you really do. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Okay. Funny how right. life works. Yes, oh, I did it. Home. I was you so did nervous. it. Yeah. <laughs> Go check it out, awesome. Michael cool. Jr. Thank you so much right. for sharing cool. your success stories. If you enjoyed this conversation, look up an inch or down an inch and check out all of our previous discussions. You can find those at iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are sold. And of course, check out the latest issue of Success Magazine by heading over to success.com slash subscribe and get more inspiring stories like this delivered right to your front door. 
Be sure to give us a review on Apple iTunes, and you can find me at KindraHall.com or on Instagram at KindraHall. That is Kindra with an I. I can't wait to hear the stories you'll tell. Until next time. Bye.